Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm Liam Armstrong. Today we'll be talking all about micro-targeting. Haven't heard of it before? You should have, because it's having a huge impact on communication, especially in the political arena. Micro-targeting is a marketing strategy that uses people's data about what they like, who they're connected to, what their demographics are, what they've purchased and more, to segment them into small groups for content targeting in order to influence their thoughts or actions. An important goal of a micro-targeting initiative is to know the target audience so well that the messages get delivered through the target's preferred communication channel. Of course, it's used heavily in advertising. Have you ever wondered why internet ads seem so tailored to your interests, for example? But it's most famously used in elections. All that talk about Russia stealing the 2016 US election? Well, if they did do that, they used micro-targeting very effectively to do so. In fact, people are now concerned that this strategy might work too well. It's now being called the dark art of political advertising online by The Guardian. Because we have seen digital campaigns evolve from banner ads 20 years ago to Cambridge Analytica harvesting our Facebook data. So today we're going to be considering, has the rise of micro-targeting become a threat to democracy? And our guest today is Swetha Das. Swetha is a partner development manager at Microsoft, having previously worked in their marketing and communications team. She's also a host of the highly regarded Backchat on Sydney's FBI radio, the highly celebrated independent youth radio broadcaster. More on her work at FBI later, because Swetha also recently completed a thesis on micro-targeting and political communication last year, so I can think of no one better to discuss and analyse this trend in communication with, especially with the use of the strategy increasing so dramatically in Australia. Swetha, how are you going today? I am well. How are you? I'm going well. Uh, thanks so much for this. Um, no, my pleasure. So, yeah, I, um, I suppose to start off more generally, like um, how have um, we seen micro-targeting effectively used in Australia? Do you think um, it was a big feature at the most recent election? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, micro-targeting being used in Australia is very different to how we've seen it being used in, uh, you know, the US or the UK. Um primarily because in Australia we have a compulsory voting system. And so when micro-targeting is used in the U.S. or the U.K., it's more about voter mobilization. You know, how do we empower citizens to go out and vote, let alone vote for us? Whereas in Australia, it's more about swing voters. And so we've definitely seen that. It's It started in 2010 when they just started creating databases till um, the recent election where political parties are mining data more aggressively every single day to swing that very important critical vote. Yeah, um, that's really interesting, the fact that, yeah, um, our different political system is why the strategy is often applied quite differently. 
Um, so obviously a major impact the shift to digital media had was um, allowing for micro-targeting to exist alongside the broader mass appeal advertising we see in traditional media. And I know you definitely touched on that in your research. Um, however, obviously this the, the unsurprising lack of scrutiny micro-targeted ads often see because they're not going out to a wide audience has brought up people's concerns of like falsehoods and fake news being involved in them. Can you expand on that and why it worries so many people? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you have scholars describing it as a nearly perfect perversion of democracy. So... In the scholarly writings, they are seeing it as, you know, a concern for democracy. I think that um, the potential for fake news is certainly quite real. But in my particular research, I find it's not so much about fake news, but it's about picking and choosing the message you want to go to public with. So, um, for example, um, I I spoke to a... Um, political strategist who was targeting um, multicultural communities because um, that's the case study I used for my thesis. And, um, you know, they would advertise in a particular language and in a particular type of manner to grab the attention of that audience. And so it meant that even if that audience cared about certain issues, they wouldn't know that the political party had a particular stance on it because the, the political party would pick one issue that they knew they would get the attention of this audience and go with it. So, I mean, fake news is definitely a concern, particularly with social media, but it's also about picking and choosing your messaging and not really giving your audience the broad, broad spectrum of news and, and um, issues out there. Yeah, um, you've just actually highlighted two questions I was going to ask and you in a bit, so maybe we'll skip to them. I think you're like the case study you chose was like it is exceptionally fascinating. Why did you decide to focus on um, like the case study of Australian migrants and migrant focus campaigning in Australia? I know you noted that there hasn't been a lot of research and literature on that and maybe yeah, explain more in detail like the exact case study you looked at, like, for example, you talked about that. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's actually quite funny. So um, I, I used to be a journalist um, for quite a while, and I worked in Indian-Australian television. And I had an opportunity a long time ago to interview um, an MP in Sydney who um, is the MP for a district that has, I think, the highest number of Indians in the entire country, mm. or one of the highest. And I remember asking her in the lead up to the federal elections, I was like, you know, what are you going to do to, to reach out to, to the Indian community? You know, you, you're not yourself Indian. So how do you tap into their lives and understand their experiences? And she made a joke. She was like, um, other than buy a lot of saris. <laughs> and I was just so shocked at yeah. that kind of a response. And I was like, how are politicians engaging with the yeah. community? Do we, uh, do they think it's okay to patronize us like that? Like, is it okay to, create, um, you know, events for the multicultural community, but not really engage with them specifically. So that's what really inspired me. It was just, you know, myself um, and my family, you know, how do people engage with migrants? Um, and also the no vote, the, mm. the, when we had the same-sex marriage plebiscite, I remember, um, it, particularly in Sydney, the areas with the high concentration of multicultural communities tended to vote no, but they also were Labour voters. And um, that kind of... Um, 
dissonance was interesting to me. So that's why I picked them as a case study, and I wanted to be very specific. So, you know, there are a lot of minorities you can pick, but I decided to just go with ethnic communities. Um, and the topic of micro-targeting is so interesting because it's no longer just about issues, but it's also about language and, and the way that the communication is created. You know, what kind of languages do they use? How do they go and campaign? Um, all of that really does change when you're dealing with different cultures. Um, so that's definitely why I, I picked that case study. Yeah, um, I think another obvious example of micro-targeting in Australia was during the um, marriage equality plebiscite. Um, yeah, could you expand for our listeners on exactly how that played out? I know, for example, there was, for example, speaking of migrants, a lot of targeting by the No campaign um, of migrant voters, for example. Yeah, so I didn't get to study uh, the marriage equality plebiscite too deeply, so I did. I started my research after that occurred. Um, but that, yeah, I never really understood why um, my photography wasn't used effectively there. Um, it always like confused me why I saw vote yes campaigners in areas like Newtown and Sydney, where you, you are going to get people voting yes, um, but you'd get you wouldn't get, see as much in in those um, communities. And I think. The big difference maybe is that um, with the Marriage Equality Plebiscite, you had people door knocking and campaigning that were removed from political parties. You just had you know, activists involved who don't have access to the kind of technology that political parties do. Um, and then you come to a campaign, an actual federal election like we just saw. And I think people really just underestimate the kind of tools um, and data that political parties have access to and how effective that really is. Awesome. Um, we'll be back in, um, with Swether in just a minute, uh, but some quick announcements from the station. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. You're listening to Communication Mixdown, and I'm Liam Armstrong. Uh, today we're speaking to Swetha Das. She's a presenter um, of Backchat, an alternative to Talkback at FBI Radio. Um, but we're talking to her today about micro-targeting and political communication, which she completed a thesis in at Sydney University recently. Uh, Swetha, the next thing I was going to ask you about is um, you talked about how you interviewed um, MPs, staffers, campaign managers and strategists. What are some of the most interesting conversations you had throughout that process and what did you learn from them that surprised you about micro-targeting? Yeah, so I interviewed a variety um, of different people involved in the political campaigning process. So that was you know, um, I was lucky enough to be able to speak to, you know, the head of data strategy for a major political party a couple of years ago. Um, 
all the way to, you know, a volunteer in a political party who's 21. So you really get the broad spectrum of understanding of how a political campaign works in relation to data mining and micro-targeting. Um, and there were a number of really interesting findings. Um, I'll try and think of, you know, the key, the key topics, but one of them that I thought was really interesting and one that isn't really studied too deeply in the literature is how they data mine. Um, and so there is a privacy act, um, which means that businesses that take people's data have to get consent to store it and to sell it. And the only <laughs> section of society that is exempt from this act are political parties. And I don't think that is um, that widely known. And so political parties can store your data, keep it for um, like a long period of time without you knowing, and they can use it without you knowing. It's only when, it's, um, when the data is taken by businesses that they have to get your consent. And so it's really interesting because, you know, as you mentioned, we are moving into more of a technological era. Data is no longer just, you know, something that's stored in a file, but it's on a database. How secure is that database? Not many people I spoke to knew. Um, on top of that, where, you know, as moving into a technological era, people are being able to access data through things like apps. And so how secure is data when you have, you know, 17, 18-year-olds volunteering door knocking, and on their app they can pull up lots of data on your house, um, data that is quite intimate that they may have collected over the many years, and then they use that data to campaign to you. So for me, my biggest concern when it came to my research was the data mining, the research collecting mechanism of micro-targeting. So that was, that was quite interesting, and I, I definitely think, you know, I don't think that the legislation is going to be updated anytime soon. I mean, why would it? It benefits political parties immensely. But there needs to be some kind of, you know, regulators or watchdogs associated with that. The second interesting part um, of the research, which was, you know, how did they send out the communication and how did they communicate with mm. um, minorities, ethnic minorities? And I actually found that, that despite it being asymmetrical in communication, in that there was more outbound information to um, the citizens than um, they were speaking to politicians, I found that it was built out of some sort of mutual understanding where when they micro-targeted in more recent years, I found that ethnic minorities tended to have more agency and were more empowered to vote correctly because of micro-targeting. So there is some sort of a silver lining when it comes to micro-targeting in that when you're able to speak the language of your constituents and you're able to really understand their issues, you're almost contributing to democracy. So there's ups and downs of when it comes to micro-targeting. It's hard to you know, paint it in one brush, um, but definitely worth further research. Yeah, um, I w you've touched on some things I was just about to ask you. So um, could you explain more what exactly how this, how micro-targeting is compatible with an asymmetrical model of communication? And like, as I understand it, and tell me if I'm um, incorrect, uh, the asymmetrical mo model of communication, for example, comes from the fact that so often, like the receiver of the message through media and communications doesn't actually have the power in the relationship. It's the sender. Yeah, so um, the asymmetrical model of communication, um, as defined by Grunig and Hunt, um, is what they call scientific persuasion. So it's the act of 
getting data from an audience and then using that to convey information that you think they want to hear. So um, I looked at that model. I applied that model to um, my interviews and I found that that is the case, that it's not two-way, that there's in no way um, a two-way communication model to it, but it is very much asymmetrical. Um, but the thing is, it's not surprising. I don't think you'll ever find a political campaign that is ever symmetrical. That, I mean, mm. asymmetry is inherent to mm. a campaign because you are asking one person to vote for you so that you can win. Um, that you know, And I think that um, it is almost um, redundant to kind of seek symmetry I mean, perhaps one day, but I think it's always redundant to seek symmetry when it comes to a campaign. But instead, we need to figure out what is an ethical model of asymmetrical public relations. Um, and I'm, I'm yet to figure that out. I, I really think it starts yeah. with understanding that research mechanism, mm. um, starting from there, and then figuring out how to empower all minorities um, to engage in the political process. Yeah, and on the topic of empowering, you said there is like potential for this to be a more like ethical model of communication. In some ways, it did like it can empower communities to better participate in the political process. What are some examples where you did see that happen that made you draw those conclusions? Where you did see it like potentially serving a good goal in terms of making migrant communities more aware of the political process in Australia. Um, so was the question, um, what are some examples of um, Yeah, how it was empowering and, and did help those communities understand, like, the political process better? Like, yeah. what made um, you draw that conclusion? What did you see that, yeah? Yeah, so um, I, I remember speaking to um, a campaigner who, whose grandmother um, spoke very little English. Um, she was a, a Latina worker who just, um, was being underpaid, poor wages, um, and just, you know, didn't have health insurance, and it was just not a good um, time for her. And um, as they started introducing micro-targeting, the, um, one of the political parties that really understood that there was a huge Latino population in that area. Mm. And so they started campaigning. It was interesting. The way they campaigned was um, they knew that door-knocking was not going to work. Um, the times didn't align. So... Um, they what they would do is they would create big cards with bright colors, not in an envelope, just bright colors um, in Spanish. Um, and this was smart for many reasons. So, you know, one of the good things about market targeting, um, you know, is that it allows political parties to figure out how they're going to distribute resources. That was probably the first reasons why they started market targeting is like, how do we effectively distribute our resources so that it's smart and efficient? And so they knew that we're going to send flyers to them. They will look at it because it is not in an envelope, but it is a bright card. It, is, it gets, grabs their attention, and it is in Spanish so that they're going to understand it. And then you get, pique their interest. Um, and then you just keep going down that path. It's almost like a funnel. Um, and we see the same kind of funnel being used by big corporations and advertising agencies. The same thing was really being used by political parties. Um, and, you know, the, the issues that they talked about on the paper was, you know, how do we raise a minimum wage? How do we get you in a union? Things like that. And the Latino community really came out and, and voted for um, that representative of that political party. And so that's a great example of how micro-targeting breaks down communication barriers. You know, one of the most um, sought out after volunteer are those volunteers who are bilingual, particularly who speak 
Mandarin because, you know, that's how you um, reach out to citizens better. They call it a cultural mirror. So we find that, and it's just, it's, it's just basic um, psychology, right? Mm. You tend to relate to people who are like yourselves. Um, and so as we see more of that in the political process, I mean, we're not really seeing that in parliament, right? You know, parliamentarians are not reflecting constituents, but at least in the political campaigning process, we're yeah. seeing more of ourselves out there speaking to citizens. Um, and that's really helping to empower um, everyone. Absolutely. Um, I suppose, yeah, it makes me think of all of the discussions about the campaign in, I think it was the seat of Chrisome, where it was two Chinese-Australian uh, candidates going up against each other and the impact WeChat um, had to play in that election. Um, yeah, so I suppose it might be interesting to end on, um, thank you, like, moving just quickly away from micro-targeting. We've recently had a radiothon here um, at 3CR. Uh, you're a presenter at a youth-run community radio station in Sydney. Uh, do you want to talk about your show really quickly, back chat and explain to our listeners so they might yeah, be able to check it out themselves? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Liam. So um, I host back chat with my co-host, Shami Sivasubramanian, um, every Saturday morning, it's on at 9.30 a.m. It's a half-an-hour political show, and we, we try and cover stories that aren't um, covered by mainstream media. Um, and so, you know, just recently we covered um, uh, Refugee Week. There was an organization called Tech Fugees where startups try and use technology to alleviate the refugee crisis in Australia and all over the world. So stories like that. Um, they're a bit more alternative and focus on minority voices. We really try and amplify. Um, FBI Raiders, um, you know, really keen on doing that in Backshot. That's, you know, um, basically what we do every single week. Um, and so, yeah, you can catch it. We stream online. So even if you're in Melbourne, you can listen in um, from 9.30 a.m. every Saturday. Awesome. Um, well, Swetha, thank you so much for um, discussing micro-targeting, its role in political campaigns and um, the impact it had on um, migrant communities and how it was used to My reach pleasure. out to them. Um, yeah, thank you so, so much. Thank you. That was Swetha Das. Um, for she is a presenter, as she was talking about, at FBI Radio. Uh, she works as a project development manager at Microsoft and she was um, has just completed a thesis in micro-targeting and political communication at Sydney University. Um, and that's all from Communication Mixed Down this week. Thanks once again to our special guest, Swetha. And don't forget, we'll be back at the same time next week, Mondays at 6pm. Uh, so let's go out with the following track from Asian Dub Foundation, who runs the place. Who runs this place? Who runs this godforsaken place? Thank you.
some people said they could, but the one would say it can't. I see vast quantities of people without a face. I don't know who runs this place! Who runs the place? 